Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. I now continue with the second reading. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shelah, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his words. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring back the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who would deliver us? from the hand of these mighty gods. They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. 
Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had died. Thanks be to the Lord. Through the book of Judges in recent weeks, thought Sunday School Promotion Sunday will spill over from Judges into the start of Samuel because Samuel was the, the last of the Judges. And let's face it, some of us have been around a long time and we know that God speaking to Samuel in the middle of the night has been a Sunday School favourite stock story for decades, if not centuries, on the eminently plausible basis that Samuel was just a boy when it happened. And it's after this episode in 319 that we read that the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. So it's clear that when God spoke to him that night, he had a lot of growing up still to do when the Lord entrusted this important message with him for Eli. So it's a great story to encourage children to listen out for the voice of God speaking directly to them. And in those days, we're told, the word of the Lord was rare. People didn't hear from God very much either because God didn't have much to say or just because they weren't very good at listening and picking it up. But this youngster, who had been dedicated to the Lord before he was born and was growing up at the Lord's sanctuary at Shiloh, he heard what the Lord said clearly enough. And in fact, he became quite famous. Everyone in Israel, from Dan in the far north to Bathsheba in the deep south, they all recognise that Samuel, this boy, is attested as a genuine prophet of the Lord. And that degree of unanimity was remarkable in the nation that at that stage was still really a collection of 12 disparate tribes without a single leader to unite them and give them a common identity. None of the judges before Samuel had commanded that kind of universal respect or recognition. But when Samuel spoke, people thought, ah, I can hear God speaking through that boy. God is speaking through that young man. And it made them sit up and take notice. And Samuel's secret was that he tuned in to God's frequency. When God spoke, Samuel was the one who was listening carefully. And what he knew of God, he knew because he'd heard the voice of God speaking to him. Last verse in chapter 3 says that the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And what Samuel heard of the word of God, he passed on to all the people so that Samuel's word came to all Israel. The words Samuel spoke were his own. But the content of what he said, was what the Lord had revealed to him. I suspect something very similar happened when God inspired people to write down the words we have in our scriptures, the word of God. The words were theirs, but the content was the Lord's. And our Bibles are readily available to us to read, like never before in our country, but do we do so? Do we hear God speaking to us through his word? Does God reveal himself to us through his word? Because if our Bibles are closed and left somewhere on a shelf, that ain't going to happen very much. Because despite its ready availability, the word of God is going to be rare in our day if people don't pick it up and read it. So as people who are here 
singing this morning, we are on the Lord's side. Let's be people who pick up and read the word of God and hear what God is saying to us so that we can pass it on. So the Lord revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And if we want to meet God, you can't do better than to read his word because that is the prime way in which God makes himself known. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of his words fall to the ground. I've turned that phrase over and over in my mind a bit because there's a little bit of ambiguity to it. For grammarians, the question is, who is the subject? Is it God or Samuel? Is it saying that Samuel did not let any of the Lord's words fall to the ground? Or is it saying that the Lord did not let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground? You'd expect the first to be the the thing, because, you know, Samuel wouldn't drop any of God's words that God spoke to him. But grammatically, actually, it's more likely that the second is true. The Lord not letting any of Samuel's words fall to the ground. But you can't be sure. At least I can't be sure. If it's about Samuel not letting any of the Lord's words fall to the ground, then you have the picture of this young man carefully listening, retrieving, and passing on every word that God says, accurately conveying to the whole nation every message with which he's been entrusted. He doesn't drop any balls, he doesn't miss anything, he doesn't misunderstand or misinterpret anything. Like a diligent radio operator, he faithfully transmits every message he receives. So when Samuel spoke, it was the word of the Lord that he spoke because he was passing on what he'd heard from the Lord. And that was why he won universal respect as the Lord's prophet. But suppose we take the words the other way. Suppose the text is saying that the Lord did not let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground. That means that when Samuel spoke, he spoke with God's power and authority. He was God's spokesman. The New English translation says that none of Samuel's prophecies fell to the ground unfulfilled. God honoured the word that Samuel spoke in his name. Samuel's words were effective, they were powerful, they made a real difference, they had a big impact. His words unleashed the power of God. And as the Lord had revealed himself to Samuel through his word, so when Samuel spoke the word to the nation of Israel, God worked among his people through the words that Samuel spoke. That's what it means to have an anointed prophet in your midst. When God speaks, the prophet listens. When the prophet speaks, God acts. That's a powerful and effective partnership. And and here at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 4, you get the feeling that Israel is on the cusp of something really great. Because of Samuel, the word of the Lord is no longer rare. They have a prophet who hears from God. They have a prophet who faithfully proclaims God's word and God works with power when he speaks. When he speaks, he speaks to the country as a whole and everybody recognises that this man, this boy, this young man is a trustworthy prophet of the Lord, uniting everyone around God's word. And you can't help thinking that with our own nation so deeply divided at the moment, we need someone like Samuel because we don't hear anybody speaking with the voice of God with that kind of clarity or authority at all. But Israel did. 
Here at last they had a godly prophet who could unite the nation under the authority of of God's word. And that's the situation at the beginning of chapter 4, but it's a false storm. By the end of the chapter, the the army of Israel has been defeated, 30,000, 34,000 killed. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. The old priest Eli has collapsed and died at the news that both his sons were killed in the battle. The name that Eli's daughter-in-law gives to her son as she's dying after giving birth to him sums up the plight of Israel all too too clearly. She called her baby Ichabod. The glory is gone. The capture of the Ark of the Lord means that the glory of the Lord has departed from Israel. A dark day indeed. How did it all go so catastrophically wrong when everything could have been so right? The answer is disturbing and challenging. It's found in the second and third verses of 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel 4, 2 describes the first battle that Israel loses against the Philistines before the ark is captured. The Philistines deploy their forces against Israel. The battle spreads. Israel is defeated by the Philistines who kill about 4,000 of them. Disaster. But worse was to come with Israel's response to the setback. In the following verses we read, When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let's bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh so that that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh. They brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. Whose bright idea was that then? Who dreamt that one up? Whose clever idea was it to go back into battle and take the Ark of the Covenant with them this time? It was the elders of Israel who took that fateful fateful decision. It was the wise, experienced elder statesmen and leaders among the tribes who mistakenly thought taking the Ark into battle would guarantee success. Did God tell them to do this? No. Did they consult the Lord over this? We're not told that they did so. Does Samuel, the universally acclaimed prophet of the Lord, get a mention in this episode? He does not. In fact, he disappears completely from the narrative. And we hear nothing more from Samuel or about Samuel until the ark has come back from the Philistine cities to Kiriath-Jerim, where it stays for 20 years. And only then does Samuel come back on the scene to challenge the whole nation to get rid of their idols and return to the Lord with all their hearts. There's the tragedy. Not just that defeat and the capture of the ark and all that stuff, but the young prophet who could so clearly hear what God is saying, who was so faithful in passing it on that everybody listened to him, he was silent for the next 20 years because they'd lost the ark. And Samuel had played no decision, played no part in the decision to send the ark of the Lord into battle. It was a decision that was taken by the elders. Eli, the old priest, far too old to be doing what he was doing really. We know he was unhappy with the decision made because while he was waiting for news of the battle, his heart was full of fear about what might happen to the ark. So you had Eli, the the 98-year-old man. You had Samuel, still a young man and a boy. And there's a kind of power vacuum. And into that power vacuum come the elders and say, I know what we'll do. 
Let's send the ark into battle. That will sort our problems for us. One old man and one young man between them were overruled by the elder statesmen of the nation with catastrophic consequences. And the disturbing challenge of this passage is the recognition that the older leaders of the nation got it wrong because they thought they knew better than the young man who lacked the wisdom and experience that came with age, but who listened to the voice of God and passed it on. And looking around this morning, I can't escape the uncomfortable reality that most of you here are older than I am. And I'm eligible for saga holidays and retirement accommodation. So I don't feel remotely ready for either at this stage. But that reflects the, the age profile of our town and of the church in the UK as a whole. And I am old enough to realise just how easy it is to become a bit set in my ways, to know how things ought to be done, and just how easy it is to be sidelined or threatened by a new, younger generation of leaders who do things very differently. That said... I don't see a vast quantity of younger leaders lining up behind me. I'm a little bit older than most of the diaconate, which is a new experience for me, but not by that much. So am I glad that there are no young leaders rocking the boat? Mark might rock the boat, I don't know. We'll see. But actually, no. The opposite is the case. We need, we need the Samuels. We need the young men and women who have the ability to hear the voice of God without it being muffled by decades of experience. We need the younger prophets. We need people like Samuel who will listen to God and will not let any of his words fall to the ground, but will faithfully pass them on. People who will listen to God so carefully that when they speak, their words are the words of God. And when they speak, God acts on what they say. You don't get to be that kind of personal prophet overnight. You don't get to be that kind of prophet unless God reveals himself to you through his word. So the place to begin, whether you're kind of at Samuel's end of the age spectrum, or whether you're pushing a hundred like Eli or whether you're somewhere in the middle, particularly actually if you are in the generation of the elders who thought they knew what they were doing but didn't listen to what God said. We need to be people who pick up the scriptures and pray, Lord, make yourself known to me through your holy word and read them. Because we can't have the word of the Lord being rare in our church. And then perhaps we'll have more of the prophetic gift we say so clearly in the young man Samuel. People who hear what God is saying because they're listening and verbalise it. And when they speak, God acts because they're speaking what God gave them to say. That's God's gift of prophecy to the church. May we find it active here among us, whatever age the person is that God chooses to speak through. But let's beware of discounting someone simply because they're so much younger than we are. Let's learn the lesson of Samuel and hear the voice of God. Let's pray for a moment.
Lord, we don't want to miss out on what you're saying. We don't want to take the wrong turning because we, we thought we knew what the best thing to do was and we just didn't listen. So switch off all the background noise, all the distractions. Help us to make your word central to our lives. May we be people who listen to what you have to say. Give us as a body of people the capacity to to discern what you're saying. And where you're giving people that, that gift to hear your word to us and proclaim it, enable us to recognize that, to affirm them in that gift, whatever their age, to listen for you speaking through them, and to follow your path, not our own good ideas. We pray that for ourselves as a church and as a nation. In Jesus' name. Amen.